This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Thursday, September 16th. Tim Priester here with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. Pre-Purdue, Notre Dame installed as a seven-point favorite, over under 58 and a half for those that care about that kind of thing. Guys, what do you think about this matchup? Obviously, there's some there's a handful of not good players, but great players uh, for Purdue on each side of the football that Notre Dame's going to have to account for. It's tricky and way more interesting than I thought it was going to be a month ago. Um, so it's I'm I'm incredibly interested to sort of see how Saturday unfolds. It's um, I don't know if I would say that I'm as intrigued by this as like you remember when we were going to Florida State and you're just like what are we going to see? We don't know, um, but it kind of feels like that a little bit, doesn't it? Like you just don't really know where you're going to get. No, it does. There's a couple things that we probably know that will happen and. They're not necessarily great for Notre Dame, but based upon the first two games, I'm saying. Tim, what do you think? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said there's some great, not just good, but great players to worry about for Purdue, because that shouldn't matter if Notre Dame was what we thought they were going to be. If you have four great players, a tight end, a pass rusher, maybe a well, quarterback, and we'll find out, and, uh, and a wide receiver, a great Notre Dame team, last year's Notre Dame team, goes out and handles business and gives up 17 points and wins 38-17. But Carl Loftus can ruin six drives for Notre Dame. So you got to score set touchdowns on five of your other six. Uh, just with pressure on third and five, that never would happen in, in a situation where Notre Dame has a good offensive line. David Bell can turn four consecutive three and outs into two touchdowns right after that. And that's, that's worrisome if that continues. It's obviously untenable if it continues. When do you begin to project that not continuing? You ask either one of you, either thing. When do you believe that will stop happening? That a guy goes for 60 because he's a great player and that a pass rusher just has his way with Notre Dame <laughs> well, this on is five a, snaps. Yeah, this isn't a game where you're saying, oh, well, there's no way they're going to have a big play against Notre right. Dame. I mean, right. that's, that's, I guess that's my point. But yeah. I mean, it, I, it, we're saying that anyway because of the first two games and it's more likely against this team regardless of the opponent. And that's why my question for Brian Kelly today was, you know, you have to defend David Bell differently than a whiteout because everything he does basically is underneath and more than half his yards are after the catch. So defending a guy like that means you have a nickel chasing him all around. He talked about the various things that they can do defensively, but he's a little bit, I think, more dangerous to deal with because of everything that he does underneath. And then once he has the football in his hands, now it's open spaces and now you have to make open field tackles against him. I love their tight end. Payne Durham, I think, is really, really good. He's not he's not Michael Mayer good, but he's very good. And then Karloftis is a is a given against what is now Notre Dame's biggest weakness. And that's the offensive line until further notice. Brian Kelly mentioned uh Andrew Kristoffic would probably play a little bit at guard. Now when I hear something like that about an older guy, it's like, okay, well I'm they're probably a little bit desperate and grasping for straws uh, at guard. But when you hear about an older player, maybe making a move, I, you know, hopefully it's not, I mean, it's from the perspective of, Hey, he's playing well, as opposed to what the hell other option do we have? Hopefully a guard's not hobbled too. I mean, yeah, I mean sometimes, I, I that, that's what I took from it, that somebody might be hobbled in guard that we don't know about. Which, I, I mean, it's like his commentary earlier in the week about like, uh, Carell and Madden playing too many snaps. Like what? Like that's not, that's not a, uh, something you ever hear about guards, uh, no. unless, they're, unless they're really struggling. Like that's a, that's a commentary on performance masked as a durability or a sort of optimal conditioning answer like that. Yeah. They're searching. They're searching. Like yeah. they, it's like everyone else sees what's happening at guard right now. It's it's not what they thought it was going to be. So we've seen it in the past where Brian Kelly's like, we have to be bigger at guard. We need a bigger body in there to move people out. And that's you know there are, there are some options there. They're not as experienced as Corella Madden, but they're they're certainly bigger. I I don't I don't believe it's a conditioning issue with Corral. You know, like we no, talked about right, last no. week, he's he's running with Chris Tyree on a, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, or, or a couple yeah, weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I I don't think that that's that's an issue here. It could be with Madden because Madden was a. I mean, I think that I think Matt Bayless has made great inroads with him, but I'm not. He didn't come in here as a 
really finely conditioned offensive guard. So there may be some that there may be some truth to that. But I think it, I Pete, I think it's more along the lines of what you said that they're struggling a little bit, and he's trying to Brian Kelly's trying to say some things maybe to to protect his players a little bit, sure. right? Uh, sure, you know, sure. I I don't know. I in, in grand scheme of things, I don't know if any of that really matters. I will say, um, you know, I think, and, and Tim, the, the, the insider that you spoke to also indicated this, that if there's an area where Nordame has a significant advantage, it absolutely should be their defensive front against Purdue's offensive line. Yeah. If you would tell me that Notre Dame would tackle well on the back end, I would say Notre Dame holds Purdue to 16 points because their defensive front is going to get in there and cause problems for Plummer and Purdue. But you can't tell me that Notre Dame's going to tackle well on the back end and defend David Bell the way they just the way they've defended skill position players to date. So when we worry about Karloftis and Purdue's pressure, it's worth noting that Notre Dame has played better teams probably than Purdue because Purdue played Connecticut and Oregon State. And Notre Dame has eight more pressures and more sacks than Purdue. I mean, Notre Dame is getting after it defensively as well. It's just ruined by four 60-yard gains. <laughs> as the those count two things. We I know those count two. Those that, that's our saying, but they really are getting after it. I think they're going to get after Purdue as well. Oh, I, I think Plummer is going to be struggling at times. Like he'll make some plays, but yeah. there, I I would be surprised if they did not beat him up to the point where he's like ambling off the field at some point in the game. Yeah, I don't want to overplay, um, you know, Jack Plummer uh, and, and his abilities, but I can't having seen he's, a He's I, better than Jordan Travis and Carter Bradley. That's why you can go ahead and overplay it yeah, right now because that's what I, you're doing. That's well, the other thing at. that, the other thing that's rolling around in the back of my mind is a, is a lifetime of Notre Dame Purdue games too. And, and Purdue quarterbacks stepping up and playing really, really well, like from the very beginning of my memory of Notre Dame football, although uh, Mike Phipps was the guy that did it in the late 60s, and he was an, an accomplished quarterback. But here's the thing. Okay, so Purdue is struggling on the offensive line. They they have. They haven't been able to run. Their, their top runner, uh, who is a, a tackle breaker extraordinaire, is out. So they're going to throw. They averaged 43 passes a game last year and 43 the year before. So if they can't run against Nordane, which I don't think that they can yeah. without, without Alexander Horvath, um, they're going to throw 50 times. And if you throw 50 times between David Bell and, and, and Payne Durham, they're going to catch, they're going to catch at least 20 passes. So I would, I would like to warn Nordane fans. And I know that they're always reasonable in close games um, that those two guys are going to accue a, a, a accumulate a lot of yardage through the passing game and that 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 would happen against virtually any defense that they play against let alone I think one that's given up big plays yeah being being prepared to see the number 300 uh next to plumber i think yes. is just prepare for that and that's it's it could be fine uh depends on how the 300 comes about but 50 like 50 attempts 300 yeah. yards i think those that, are you can deal with that if you're not right. but i do think O'Malley and i were talking about this outside um, the outside practice on say like this is going to be it's going to be an, a day where people are I think Cam Hart's going to and Clarence Lewis are going to get found out one way or the other like they they there won't be sort of like did they play well I think they played well like either they're going to play well and you're going to know it or they're going to struggle and you're going to know it like they they are in for a lot of work on Saturday well and I also think you know, Notre Dame really hasn't settled on a nickel. We're going to know who the nickel is because that guy's going to be chasing David Bell all damn day. Yeah. Right? I mean, he's a, we should have asked Brian Kelly about this, although he would have protected his player and his, his, his plan for last week. KJ Wallace was the nickel because they were playing Toledo, wasn't he? Like, it's a strange like, thing to me. Why, you know what I mean? Why, why was well, okay, Tariq right. Bracey all of a sudden not the nickel? Here's a big play. We've got to put him in. Now this is the time to do it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't know why it wouldn't be Bracey again if you're going to have, unless he's replacing Hart like he did in the last drive. But I want Kim Hart makes Kim Hart had a bad fourth quarter and a good first three quarters. So I don't think you're benching Cam Hart. I think that was a smart idea. 
by Marcus Freeman because Bracey's a better pure cover man than Cam Hart. Cam Hart yep. just started playing corner. So that was a really good idea. I think you need Cam Hart out there when it's general running situations. He's a sturdy guy. He plays the boundary well in that way. But obviously Cam Hart can't guard David Bell if David Bell moves over to that side as well as Tariq Bracey can after four years of covering people. Right? Yeah, yeah I like I, mean, I like Bracey as the nickel. I, I Yeah. Especially I this I mean, Hart's got a little bit more length. I mean, I think there might be situations where you can, again, you got to match him up. You got to make sure that you can create short space. Yeah, that's in dealing with him, which is hard to do. I think Nordame, I mean, I feel pretty confident that we're Nordame is going to play a better, more consistent football game overall. But the problem is when, if you're going to face an, an, uh, a quarterback that's capable, with two weapons like that, and I would also suggest um, Milton Wright is a guy that can do some things for them, number zero at wide receiver. I don't know. You know, it's it's just going – there are going to be times where it's like, man, you don't feel like the Nordic defense can get off the field. I don't know that that's necessarily all day, but it's going to happen in certain series. Yeah, I almost feel like we would not be fretting about Notre Dame's defense if the offensive line just blocked better all the time. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, no, you know, it does. You, could, it does. Be, you wouldn't think that Purdue's going to come out and score 27, 30 points on Notre Dame and think it's, it's going to be tough to win. You'd think, all right, well, if Purdue has a great day. They score 28 points. Plummer throws four touchdowns. Notre Dame wins 44-28. But you can't guarantee these points are coming because drives can end with untimely pressures. No, and I, you know, the the more I watch of Purdue, and they've only played two games, two, two games this year and six last year. So, uh, you know, I've been trying to watch those eight games. But I mean, I like I can I like their secondary. Their secondary has a lot of experience. They have Jay, uh, they have Dedrick Mackey, who's probably the most experienced at corner, Cam Ellen's a good safety, who's got a handful of interceptions in his career, and and Corey Trice is generally considered their best defensive back. So, I still think Jack Cohn to Nordame's receivers, if they just, if Cohn has a little bit of time, which you know you can shorten up, he doesn't take a real deep drop anyway. You can do some things against them, but I don't know, man. I. I <laughs> You know, you start you start seeing you start seeing ghosts a little bit because you're just not sure how consistent Nordame is ready to play. I will say one more thing. I really like their kitch, kicker, Mitchell Finneran. He's got a big leg, man. He's got a strong leg. You can hear a difference when ball meets when foot meets ball. If it comes down to a, to a boot from him, he's very very capable. I don't like that last note at all. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I like it. It looks pretty good. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. Hey, this is Augie, Augie's Locker Room. When you come to the store, you're going to see things that you've probably never seen before unless you've been to a museum. Great items that go back to the Rockney era to the present. Website, augieslockerroom.com. Visit us here or the website. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from Sauce Hoss. Before the Toledo game, the expectations around Tyler Buckner seem to have diminished. After seeing his production against Toledo, has your opinion on him changed? What do you expect from him against Purdue? And is it possible he will take the full-time starting job at some point this season? Your opinion has to have changed because he is a necessary piece of the team. Unless the offensive line just gets a thousand times better. I mean, he... It was amazing. I've never seen a team disregard the the keeper on the read option as much as Toledo did with Jack Cohn. I mean, it, I guess with when they used to run it with Tommy Reese and they couldn't run the ball, they still had the quick throw off of it by Reese. You know, it was like they were prepared for it. This is he, he changed the running game. Yeah, Cone's, I mean, Cone has to be prepared to keep a few. And, yes, and he does. And even he if does. he does, it's going to gain five yards. Right, maybe seven. You, you know, some teams but, would be like, "Let him gain his five yards." That's fine. well, that's Go, true. Yeah. But then, then you know, if it's yep. a first down call, then you're second and three, or second and five, whatever. So I mean, that's an improvement over what they were gaining last weekend. Yeah, they, they would have taken five yards. Um, yeah, it's like I have. I sort of chart this because I'm neurotic about it, but like I think I have Cone as Notre Dame has run 23 sort of zone read concepts with Cone in the game. He's given it all 23 times. Uh, whereas Buckner has done it, um, I think eight times and kept it four times. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just a different, I'm sorry. He did it 13 times. He 
kept it six, gave it seven. So, you know, that's a 50, 50 proposition. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's what you good. have to defend. And it's like the, um, that pass Tyree <laughs> for the touchdown, like the pass was not difficult to throw. Um, but the reason Tyree was wide open is because Toledo couldn't account for everybody that was a threat. Um, yeah. You know, when you've got the, when you've got, a running quarterback and you blitz somebody like somebody's going to be wide open. Then you just need to be athletic enough to make that throw, which was, I mean, I give, I want to give Buckner credit. That was an off platform throw that was well delivered. Well, certainly Buckner. I mean, Buckner came into the game and showed poise, which is, which is exactly what you're hoping for. And you, I mean, I, I think we all kind of anticipate he's that kind of kid. He's a mature kid and he would be able to do that, but to actually execute it when, I mean, I, you know, I don't know for sure going into the game. Yeah. They, I'm sure they planned Tim, you said this, they, they plan to play Buckner, but they probably figured they'd be playing Buckner, Buckner up 14 to nothing. Yeah. I don't it think they a different situation than that. Backed up at the four yard line. I don't think they plan right. need Buckner to get us out of here or we might get a safety and to kind of put a point on my, they're going to ignore Jack Cohn and he gets five yards on first and five. I want to go back to Chuck Martin. We have never gone into a meeting where we said that seven yard hitch killed us all day. That's right. why we lost the game. Right. I'm saying defense to be like that cone just ran for five yards, but we covered Chris Tyree on that RPO and uh, they well, will just live with Jack Cone getting a couple games. It's, yeah, no doubt. But yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it, but stumble forward, you know, cause he yeah, can't, I'm with you on that. I mean, he looked like a wagon without a wheel. there trying to run, <laughs> trying to get up field. Did you uh, hear the Drew Brees or say, Hey, I could run too. <laughs> it was right after Buckner had like that really long run. But, but my point is it like, for example, if it's first down and he stumbles forward for four, great. It's yeah, a good, yeah. it's a good start. And now you move on to the next one or, if, or if it's second and eight and he stumbles forward for five, all right, it's, it's productive and it, and you can gain five if they're not going to respect it. 23 yeah. out of 23 Pete. He's saying that's uh that's a tendency boy. That's a tendency. <laughs> Golden by name. What will Tommy Reese do to scheme around Purdue's best defensive player, Carl Loftus? What will Marcus Freeman do to minimize Purdue's best offensive player, David Bell? Well, I mean, Brian Kelly talked a little bit about it Monday about Carl Loftus. I mean, you're going to need some help. It would be with tight ends. I mean, uh, Kyron Williams has to block better than he has. We know he's capable of that. He did it all last year. Um, you know, you get rid of the football quickly. Uh, and, and again, Cohn's not one to, to take deep drops and, and sit back there for, um, you know, for a long time. Although I guess some of the sacks have proved otherwise. And then as I mean, as far as David Bell, that's why one of the reasons I asked Brian Kelly about what you do with him and you have to use a, a bunch of different schemes with him. But the fact of the matter is he's roaming underneath in front of the line of scrimmage. And that's a very difficult player to, to stick with. So you have to rally to the football um, you know, great coverage right off the snap of the football to uh, discourage a, a, a quick throw because once you know, once he gets the football in his hands, then you know you're kind of at at his mercy and at their mercy. So if you can take away that first quick look off the snap of the football, now you're making it a little bit more difficult. But if there was an easy way to do this, you know, every, you know, everybody would stop these guys and nobody has been able to stop, or I, I don't think too many teams are going to be able to stop Karloftis this year. They couldn't as a freshman in the same way with Bell. I think that this would be a, probably a big focus this week. On, I think an underrated strength of defensive performance against Toledo is like the ability to break up passes at the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, Bo Bauer had a, a key one on third down. I think Jason Adamilola stopped a touchdown um, with a yeah. break where Houston Griffith was beaten pretty cleanly. Uh, really? and he, um, the ball just couldn't get there because it w- couldn't go through Adamilola's hand. So, you know, how do you stop quick game? Get your hands up, um, bat it down, maybe get a deflection. We'll see. But, like, I, I, that would be how I would – that would be one – sort of point of emphasis, I think, defensively this week for Freeman and Elston. And I think offensively, um, all the things you said, Tim, but throwing on first down too, so you're not in second and nine with Jack Cohen dropping back having to throw. I I think more than ever they have to throw on first down this year. I totally get not throwing on first down last year. I'll go to my grave fighting the analytics that say you had to throw on first down last year when you averaged five yards a carry on first down. But, boy, do they have to throw on first down. You got it. 
advantage. I know it can be incomplete, but in the, today's game, it shouldn't be right. I'm not saying go a 15 yard dig. I mean, keep the ball moving down the field. And I think that's how you stay ahead of Purdue's pass rush. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I was talking about like the more I look at Purdue, the more things I like, I like their secondary, their defensive line. They only gave up. I mean, they basically have most of that defensive line back. They only gave up um, 3.7 yards per carry last year. If you look at like, if, Karloftis' stats from last year were quoted, but he was injured and he had COVID. Or, or oh yeah, no, it's yeah. Last so I mean, that last year was just a total wash for him. I uh, will go to his freshman year when he had fifty-five pressures. His freshman year, fifty-five pressures. That's insane. And I, I put it in a, uh, in a in our preview story. I mean, if just you, if you need a point of reference, um, Julian Aquara in his best year as a junior had sixty-one. Carl Office had 55 as a freshman. And there were other guys you had to block on Notre Dame besides Aquara. So yeah. there was other pressures coming yeah. from other places. I mean, to go into this game thinking that you're just going to, to neutralize Carl Loftus and Bell is, I mean, it's, you're, there's going to be give. There, you're going to yield some yardage and some pressures. And I don't know that anybody's really going to be able, able to uh, be capable of doing anything about that this year against them. Jim, uh, Jim Booney... CRS, if you're Tommy Reese and you still want to try to run the ball with Jack Cohn as quarterback, what do you do differently in play calling in comparison to Toledo? This is going to be fun to watch to see if they do things differently other than break the tendency that Pete gave us because you know the pistols in their arsenal. You know, under, we saw them under center. You know, under center's in their arsenal. And the two running back thing at the same time is something that can help Jack Cohn. We saw it a, few, a couple times where it's for lack of a better word, a shotgun pro set, and you have two running backs. I do not like any. I know you have to do a couple of the, of the zone read schemes, but as Pete pointed out, I think that is a, it's got to be less, far less part of the attack with Jet Cone. That's when, uh, if you never keep it, that is what people on message boards call a slow developing run play. Yeah. Um, that's so I, you know, I wouldn't try to force the run game with Jack Cohn at quarterback. Like, so I, I, this is, I think this is something that Notre Dame fans um, are probably going to have to get used to this season. Like Notre Dame's not going to have a great run game and they're not going to try to have a great run game. They're just going to throw it. You know, this, this is like, this is our, O'Malley, this is your worst fear come to life. <laughs> the extension of the run game is the short passing game. It is. And it's, actually, the, it's, not, it's not even an extension. It's a replacement for. Yes, that's true. Well, that might be better. It's a replacement. This is all a big reason why we didn't think this was going to be a, a, a playoff team because you can't, I mean, you can't, you can't just live by the passing game. I, I'll, I'll, I'll take that to my grave. I'll believe that because, um, I mean, you you watch in Alabama. Like, do they have a running game to complement their passing game? I their realize that, line's pretty good usually. Yeah, too. I mean, they're. I, I, that's probably I, that's a terrible comparison, but um, you know, I mean, Nick Saban adjusted his offensive approach, obviously, to take advantage of the skilled athletes that they can bring in at, at wide receiver. But they still have a powerful rushing attack behind a great offensive line. And I, you know, I mean, in answer to the question, you run a few more jet sweeps. Anything to do. Anything you can do to widen the field for you, yeah. which is why Tyler Buckner was brought in in the first place. Outside zone, you're talking about outside zone, Tim. I mean, I, I don't. You can't run it to Kane Madden's side. I and, and we no. stated that when yeah. when did he right. when did he? You, know, you, you, you were all over it when I mean, you did his first film review. Yeah, yeah, you're not you're not going to be able to do that. Can you do it? Could you do it? Maybe a little bit more with Kristoffic, probably. Could you do it a little bit more to to uh, Zeke Corral's side of the line? Probably, but with Tosh Baker out there, I'm not sure that that works either. You know, I, run. this is a pass to run team. Yeah. And Tim, yeah. you make a, I'm glad you brought up Christophic again because I meant to put a, a point on this in the first segment. I don't think it's ever a good sign when the coach says, How do we get our sixth offensive lineman on the field? You know, I mean, we got to find a way to, like last year, that had been like saying, we got to find a way to get Josh Lug out of there. Maybe we take Aaron Banks out a little bit. Maybe we take out Liam Eikenberg. I mean, that's not, that wasn't going to be said. You know? I, don't Brian Kelly, I don't think we've ever heard Brian Kelly say that before. No, so I think years. that's it's not a great thing. Um, that's not a great thing. Nope. Jim Juneko, how do you think Jordan Batella's return impacts the defensive performance this week? You're about you to know, lead could... balloon coming here, I think, on everybody listening, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, I... For... <laughs> 
for us to, I'm not really sure what basis we have to speculate about how they're going to use Jordan Mattel. I mean, I, I, you know, I, Brian Kelly talked about a Viper in, I, I would imagine Marcus Freeman is going to move him around a little bit. You talking about, you talk about second level defensive linemen. Vitello yes. is tailor made for that. Yes. Someone brought that up oh. on our message board and it's a great point that yeah. Bosky where he looks like he's playing middle linebacker. Yeah. That is probably better. That's supposed to be Vitello. It was supposed he to be Leopold. He is, but I think, I think there's an overreaction to Vitello or uh, um, to Fosky lining up at, at, at an, in a middle linebacker spot. If, if it, if it's a pass rush situation, it's just a different entry point into the, the, the line of scrimmage. So, I mean, no, I, I don't think, we really don't want to see a whole lot of Foskey dropping into pass coverage because there will be times, of course, when they do zone blitzes and stuff. Um, but, you know, Battelle, I think, I, I think he plays a multifaceted role depending upon just how much he grasps what, what Marcus Freeman wants, but we've only seen a couple of practices and, and he's used in a couple of different ways. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm very much looking forward to see how, Number twelve, the new number twelve, right? Uh, yeah, he is number twelve. Yeah. Is used on on Notre Dame's defense. I would think it'd be you know third down, like you said, Foskey dropping off. I think what I'm I'm interested <laughs> in that, but I'm also interested like in that third down scenario. Can does Foskey replace somebody else on the defensive line, and you That's get Bello and Foskey? Yes, yeah. That's a hundred percent what I want. Foskey's yes. not coming off on third down. That would be a bad, bad thing. Right, and I don't know. Yeah, that's that's silly. <laughs> that I don't sense. know. We don't know how accomplished Botello is within this defense, but yeah. we know that when he's out there, they have another very skilled athlete on the field, which which they need. I mean, you know, every defense needs another athlete like that as long as that athlete is in the right place when it's when it's time to determine whether a play is going to work or not. Plus, I want to see him out there because we could see our first on-field arrest for mayhem and citing riots and stuff like that when he's running around <laughs> out there. Because there just seems to be he, – he's an angry man covering kickoffs. I can't imagine he's him when he gets a quarterback. He's a, he's a targeting penalty waiting to happen. <laughs> Question from Bobby Newt. I know George Koloftis is a West Lafayette kid, but can you talk about his recruitment? Why wasn't Notre Dame more of a factor? Why wasn't David Bell recruited more heavily as an in-state four-star wideout receiver? Was it an academic issue? See, Notre Dame needs to recruit these Purdue prospects a lot more. No, clearly these are clearly Kalafis and Bell are, are, are top notch. Yeah, Pete, God, you know, I mean, just Pete, like what, what a disaster Tyler Eifert and Drew Tranquil were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pete, do you uh, – and I, I've got some information about Kalafis' recruitment. I don't know about David Bell. Do you have – you have any recollection of how that all transpired? I, I don't, but like the his high school was Warren Central, I believe. Um, I mean, it was a big deal when Notre Dame took Sheldon Day out of there. I think that was the first Warren Central prospect Notre Dame had taken in generations. Um, it's not a, I mean, it's not like it's not like a private school in Indianapolis um, in terms of the academic stature. So that may have been part of it. Um, they were certainly aware of David Bell. I mean, he played on the same seven on seven team as Jack Kaiser. So it's like, it's not like Notre Dame didn't <laughs> about him. So I, I think you would have to sort of take Notre Dame at its word. Like it's going to recruit four-star prospects in state when it can. Um, Karloftis, I, I always felt like Notre Dame liked him, but they didn't love him. Um, but I mean, clearly he's just, ridiculous um, well i i was at the invasion me too when carla when Karloftis was there and I, I was re- were you just sort of like huh i was thoroughly unimpressed with george Karloftis that day yeah and i it, that his his film was probably better yeah, his film was definitely better than he was that day but he was underwhelming i mean he just was and i and i'm pretty sure that that was notre dame's stance on him that day too so I mean, I, you know, I guess you need to, everybody needs to project a little bit better and, and uh, anticipate what he could have developed into, but he's a beast now, man. I mean, he is, I I've said this and I'm going to pound it into the ground till we move on to, to, to Wisconsin probably next week, but he reminds me of like coming off the edge. He's like a downhill skier. I mean, he is just flying off the edge. And then when he engages an offensive lineman, He's so damn good with his hands that he just quickly dismisses the guy. And he does it 
on a consistent basis. He's become an outstanding college well, pass rusher. I would just say one thing about Karloftis, and I sort of I found this out while reporting out the Kaiser story that I'm writing, but like Karloftis, like he's not just from West Lafayette. Like he was at Purdue all the time as a kid. Like he he ran indoor track and threw indoor shot at, at, as like a middle schooler there. Like it wasn't, you know, it's this isn't a situation where he just moved there his senior year of high school with no connections to the school whatsoever. Like he's, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, I mean, it, that's fine. I mean, he's from West Lafayette, like Purdue, yeah. Purdue should get him. And the way I understand it, I, I think he came away from Irish invasion disappointed in the way he had performed too. So yeah. he may have at that point, he may have actually lowered his expectations a little bit as to where he would end up. And then that, if if that happened, then Purdue was a simple choice for him. Yeah, from where he was from and the level of football that Purdue was playing, great player. Notre Dame has to be ready for him. From way to go, K man, and this is kind of an answer by Brian Kelly. Do you expect to see more guard rotation, specifically Rocco Spindler this week? I think had he not had Brian Kelly not said what he said to us about an hour ago, we would have said Rocco Spindler, but he actually listed Spindler third, right? Second, okay. second ahead of Dirksen. I wrote it down as in that order. He said, unless I just misheard it because I wanted to. I thought he said John. I thought he said John. Rocco he didn't say Dirksen. He said John. I thought he said it second. Either way, Christophic was one. Yeah, Christophic yeah. was yeah. mentioned. They're not all. They're not first. all getting in this week. No, and like I say, to to me, that's more encouraging because that's an older guy who has had to fight to get on the field. Um, the big kid with some athleticism that the rap was, I think early on that he wasn't strong enough in his early years. I'm sure he's come quite a, quite a way since then. Uh, I, but I'm, you know, I'm probably grasping for, for <laughs> I I, I'm probably grasping for, uh, uh, consistent guard play as well. Uh, question from fanhood your thoughts on kevin austin through two games so far give me more uh, exceeded more. exceeded expectations uh, no, to I want more. Answer, answer this in o'malley terms where like meet exceed not meet like he's i thought he'd be really good he's been great and i'm thrilled to not talk about his one spring practice from two years ago more throwing the ball more I mean, he, he probably, I mean, yeah, no, I agree. He probably needs to be targeted. If yeah. it's, it's, there's no doubt that mayor is going to be targeted more than anybody, it's just but you need, I think yeah. you need Austin to be like within three or four targets of him. I agree. I, especially Cone can do it. He can make those throws. They don't have to be 45 yards downfield. Kevin Austin is the best guy on the team for those 18 to 20. He can really, Make yeah. a difference there. And they don't have to be perfect throws. I, he will, no, no. You, if you throw back shoulder to Kevin Austin, you are not stopping him. You, I mean, I, that's the case with a lot of good, really good yeah. receivers, yeah. but, but he is so, he does such a great job of separating with the defender, uh, both before the ball has gotten there on a back shoulder and after he's received it, he scares the crap out of DBs when he breaks down and, you know, decides to make a cut or two. His target should be in the eight to ten range all the time. Boy, he would have yeah, helped a, last year. Holy cow! Yeah, no, 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 kidding. Like, I so when I track targets, I include like if you draw a PI or something. So my numbers are, are a little different than what Notre Dame's are. But uh, Mayer leads the team with twenty six targets. Austin is second with sixteen, which is more than all <laughs> the other, all the other wide receivers combined. Yeah. Um, so I would say that they're. You're probably in a good spot with him averaging 10 yards per target um, completion percentage of 56%. Like the 56 is not that high, um, but the 10 yards is you're averaging 10 yards a clip. Every time we think about throwing you the ball, probably throw the ball to him more. And per reception, he's at like 17 or 18. Yeah, Which is right? actually, so is Lindsay. So they yeah, need to get they need to throw to Lindsay more too. They do. I think Lindsay's the other security blanket. Remember the other Brian Kelly said we need more blankets. Lindsay's yeah. a blanket. You got to get Lindsay involved he, in the blanket. He is, but you know if he's going to have a lower, yeah, the jets, percentage per target. The little jet sweeps, the little look screens. Right. He can he can make something happen. I think. Yeah, I I would think there's got to be a jet sweep or two in the 
offense this week, right? To yeah. to Lindsay or Tyree or somebody. And Davis uh, runs them well. I mean, Davis runs them yeah, really well. They can do that as well. From need a turnover in your film review, are you seeing what my amateur eyes are seeing? That Kyron Williams is struggling with blitz pickup and pass protection in general. A couple times. I mean, a couple times in two games. Yeah, I, I don't based upon his incredible work as a pass blocker last week. I, I it, I'm last year, yeah, or last year. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think that's a concern. And Kyron Williams being wired the way he is, knowing that he hasn't handled a couple up to this point, it's going to piss him off, and he's going to come back and be better at it you know, beginning this week. So I don't think that that's an issue. He knows how to do it. He's motivated to do it. He, he's missed a couple. I think it's, I mean, it's worth acknowledging that like last year, that was probably a little bit easier to do because you knew the five offensive linemen were going to do their jobs. Yeah. That's a You're great point. About like, okay, do I have to make up for a miss at guard or is there someone coming around the edge at left tackle? Like he probably has more to account for now, which is it, I would think it's not super healthy. Yeah, no, it's a legit point. Uh, you know, he there's going to be an occasion. There, there's going to be several occasions where he has to help with Karloftis this weekend, and I, I am just so impressed with the way Karloftis d- dismisses people with his hands. He's just so quick with his hands. Um, you just don't, you don't, you don't tie him up. You, you just can't tie him up. This is kind of interesting. I want to look it up real fast because I, I felt like the one that Kyron Williams, people are really thinking of, I know he got kind of run over once in the Florida State game. Um, Pro Football Focus has him as not allowing a hurry yet, which means they gave up that hurry where he looked confused to the guard, to Carell, or doesn't mean they're right. I mean, it doesn't mean they're right at all. They, they're not, yeah. you know, they're not the law when they go to these things. But the number one ranked pass blocker on Notre Dame's team right now is Kyron Williams, according to Pro Football Focus. Really? So, yeah, he's one and Tyree's two. Now, Tyree shouldn't count because he has he has five opportunities. You know, that's that's not enough to count, probably. Yeah. Um, How many opportunities has Kyron Williams, Williams has 18, it says. Oh, wow. So, well, yeah, so we're talking about a couple of miscues. Where... Yeah, I think they're just memorable ones. And we also grade on a curve with Kyron Williams because he was so amazing at it yep. against Clemson last year. Yep, yep. Irish gambler. If Purdue rushes three and drops eight, would Notre Dame be able to run? <laughs> I feel like it's 2013. Can Notre Dame run if teams try to take away the pass? It's the well, most depressing question of the year. It is, but <laughs> it's drop a, eight. It's a it's a <laughs> it's an interesting terrible. question because Purdue does rush three guys a lot. They do. Um and so that might be one way that Notre Dame's running game can can be loosened up. You have to. You got to try to keep them honest at, on occasion, right? You've got to run the football. The fact that we're we're asking and answering this question, Tim, it's, is why you're oh my why you're sitting there and fretting. But I feel um, like Pete. I feel like Pete right now. What are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> we're back to this. Yeah, they can and will run the ball against the three man front. They have to. Purdue. I noticed it a lot popping up, and not always in third and twelve. I've seen it in third and six. Uh, depending upon the opponent. So what do you think about that, Pete? I, I think that um, one of the staples of Nurem's run game will probably be the draw this season if they're really a pass-to-run team. So I'd just run a draw against drop eight. And I think they'll be successful with it because Kyron Williams, when he gets room, is a very difficult back to handle. Like he's well, running he, into not room right now. If he gets a little, if you get a little space when it's a drop eight, right? I mean, that there's a little yeah. bit of space there for you. And it's, I mean, it's like, I was just going to say, like, they've hit screens to Williams so far this season when the team has been playing the screen and Notre Dame right. still has busted it. So that may be part of it too. I mean, that was one of the things the first few weeks that, I mean, I don't know if, um, a passing game to your running back can be like your offensive identity, but they're averaging 10 yards an attempt uh, when they throw it to Williams and Tyree. So that might also be part of like, you know, getting back to what do you do when you drop a, you know, what do you do if you can't run, just throw it to your backs. Yeah. And you have two excellent ones to throw it to. I mean, really, really, really good. Um, And that's gotta be, you know, you just have to, we've talked about the, the, how wide the playbook has been for Tommy Reese and, but there are certain segments of it have been walled off. So 
you know, you really have to, you really have to look, dig a little bit deeper. And I think Tommy Reese has done a really, really nice job of that up to this point. Uh, Buck Dancer, could you guys please describe what went into the decision-making process of hiring Jeff Quinn over Justin Fry and Joe Gilbert? Are you concerned about the long-term development of the offensive line? I am concerned about the long-term development of the offensive <laughs> line. I'm concerned about the short-term development and this autumn's development all around. It's uh, They shouldn't be this bad on the offensive line right now. They should not be as bad as they are at this point. Just like they should never have been as good as they were last year coming to this year. People were smoking crack if they thought that was going to happen. They should not be this bad. I agree. I agree. I mean, it's a, I think we've talked about the Fry Gilbert and um, who's who the other that? guy? Bostad yeah. from Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That was that I think I, I seem to remember Gilbert being a popular choice, like internally among like maybe players, but. I don't know. It was like three years ago at this point. Uh, I thought I remember Fry and Gilbert having less rave reviews from the interview process. And like, obviously Brian Kelly knows Quinn, it's his decision. So that who's the guy, I can't think of his name right now, but I can picture him. The guy that uh, went to Penn state that played at Florida was an all American offensive lineman anyway I, I really liked him now, but that wasn't at the time when they were making that decision but I, I you know I'm I was on record saying it and writing it at the time that I didn't think they should hire Jeff Quinn but I knew they were going to because Brian Kelly goes back to, with with Quinn to the the uh, Grand Valley State days so like everybody that knows Jeff Quinn loves the guy personally um, we aren't going to, on a daily basis, like so many of our readers starting threads about fire Jeff Quinn, we think that they should do, I think they should upgrade at that position. I didn't think he should have been hired in the first place there. I mean, I, you know, I, he'd actually, um, I think he had to get a new laptop, right? Pete, you said you were going to break your laptop over the uh, table. that happened. <laughs> Did you say we that? Yeah, we didn't think he was going to get hired, actually, going back. At the very beginning of it, we did not think he'd get hired. Because As the process I, you know, went on, we knew he was going to get hired. I that mean, it, it, it's my understanding that the returning offensive linemen were not – they weren't thrilled with the decision. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I get the ring of hands. We're just not going to say every day that they should fire the offensive line coach. But I think that they need to upgrade the offensive line, and I don't – I, is there any confidence that that's going to happen at the end of this season? Pete? Give me no, a record. I mean, not no, high. I mean, I, I guess I would be, I would certainly would be shocked if they didn't improve. Um, but yeah, it's too weak. I mean, they should improve. It's that's, just gotten I mean, off to such a rocky start. Um, you know, this was always going to be a rebuilding line, but I, not to this level. So it, um, you know, and, and look, the, the defensive fronts are going, getting better from here. They're not getting worse. So if, if Notre Dame doesn't improve, it's, it's going to show – I mean, uh, as much as you watch Notre Dame now and you come away, like, unimpressed with the run game and the line, that's going to be a hell of a lot different sensation than when you're unimpressed with the line after a loss, you know? Um, Right now, I think you can sort of like, well, you know, they got a chance to improve sure. and no, better. But yeah, and that's if they that's, take as soon as they take an L, like people are going to lose. People are going to just lose their stuff. And imagine an offensive line next year without Jared Patterson because he's not coming back. He's he's going to go yeah. to the NFL. So yeah, um, you know, and you can say, oh well, all these young guys are going to get experience. There's it's still going to be a relative, even if, I mean, even if all those guys start all year, it's still a relatively inexperienced offensive line that will be better. That should be much better and reach fruition in 2023 as opposed to 2022. Well, it's like, if you, if you subtract Patterson, Madden and Lug from the line, then I think my math is correct that you would actually return fewer starts next year than you did this year. This year. <laughs> That's so. true, man. They're, you're not going to reach 62. Those two guys, Madden and Patterson and Lug, well, Corral too, with his. With I don't his know. I think you'll reach 31. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
Well, well, have twenty six. I mean, Corral easily. start Corral and games. Corral and, on the left tackle will have right. twenty six. So Corral has a couple. Corral has a couple from last year. So yeah, go hit twenty eight. Probably that's about it. <laughs> so and then seventy two so, on a good note. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the question is, are you concerned about the long term development on the offensive yes. line? Indeed. A unanimous yes. That man seventy two changes the uh, tenor of the question here, Tim. A little more fun. <laughs> let's, let's enjoy ourselves again. How about how about a weekly over under for the number of sacks allowed and number of fifty yard plays allowed? What would you set the line for this week up against Purdue? That's why earlier we. Uh, this isn't a great. Now you know when you play Wisconsin, like when you play Wisconsin, you can feel a lot more secure about it. But with uh, with Bell on the field. Um, well, well, O'Malley, you're the king of setting lines. Go ahead. Sacks, I'll set it four and a half. Do you guys all say over? I'll go under. I go yeah. under on that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, three or four. So what? Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, I, I would say under on that. Yeah. But it was six last week and it pressures. was four the first week. So I'm yeah. just going to four and a half. I mean, yeah, there'll be some <laughs> pressures in there too. Maybe we should combine sacks slash pressures, but yeah, there's going to be a lot. Of, there's more yeah. pressures than sacks. And then as yeah. far as 50 yard plays, um, one and a half or two and uh, a half? Yeah, one and a half is where I would one set One and a half is what you have to set it at. It better not be two and a half. Yeah, that's, that's two. <laughs> yeah, that's two. It would have to be two. You'd have to allow yeah. for a push. Uh, so it'd be one and a half, and I'll say, uh, well, okay, I'll what? On Monday, on Monday, the, the, the idea was there's 10 games left, and they needed nine more of 50-plus, and I said I'm, I was the only one that said under, right? So I guess I better t- I have to take under this week. For what that's worth, I really do not know. Uh, question 50's from a lot of yards. Fifty's a lot of yards, man. <laughs> yeah, I know it is. It is. But I, I mean, David Bell's going to get one. They're getting those. one. They're getting. Yeah, one. he's going to get. He's going to get one of those. Uh, Joe Hughes seven zero one two. Do you really think Notre Dame will win by seven? Not exactly. Uh, <laughs> can I can I choose any other number? Because I choose any other number. Hmm. <laughs> I said it. I, I mean, I think numbers. I've said the last two weeks. I mean, you can't ask for more value with a line. It was fourteen for Notre and a Dame half than seven in late August before Notre Dame played a game. They were favored by fourteen and a half over Purdue. And I know those change for everybody, but it's a that's a big change in for an undefeated team. What do you think, Pete? Uh, well, I mean, we're going to do predictions here in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why this is the last question. I think they will win by more than seven points. All right. Well, let's go. Let's. I, do uh, too. I wrote. I wrote predictions down here four times, so I couldn't forget it this week. So why don't we just go right into? Uh, it's not because I don't. I don't want you guys to think it's because I don't respect or want to hear what your picks are. <laughs> Just, I'm, I'm moving on to the next thing on Thursday, which you just is like the big, uh, you just like the big reveal when you get to reveal yeah, yours on Friday. I, That's I'm moving on to the questions that you and I have to answer O'Malley in 40 minutes for WNDU locally. So, right, right. I right. think, um, I think Notre Dame will play its best game of the season on Saturday. Um, I think Jack Cohn and Tyler Buckner will both do good things. I think Notre Dame is going to have a hell of a time blocking George Galaftis, and like that will be apparent to everybody in the stadium. Like whether Carmody plays or it's Baker, it, I don't think it's going to matter. Um, but I, I, I think Notre Dame will just play well. They have so many more good players than Purdue does. Like yeah. Purdue has a couple like border borderline elite players, like not elite borderline elite. Like I don't know if George Karlaftis is as good of a defensive end as Mike Mayer is a tight end. Um, or Kyle Hamilton is as a safety. So, but that's it. Like David Bell is just a really, really good receiver. Notre Dame places really good receivers all the time. So I have Notre Dame 34, Purdue 24. Oh. I think I think it'll be a high scoring game. Relative, I guess. Is that is that high scoring 34-24? No, we're I we're I we're both reacting Thanks. to once again our scores are all going to be that might actually be what O'Malley was going that to say. That is my score again. You got and exactly mine is, right mine is incredibly close to that. Uh, go first, guys. I agree. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I agree too much with what Pete said. There's just more for Notre Dame to offer. But Karloftis is going to ruin some drives. Notre Dame, with the better protection, could be a 42-point machine this year with their weapons. They just are going to lose drives that were once promising. I know there are too many like 
totally like duds against Toledo. I don't think you're going to see as much of that. I just think you're going to see a lot of, all right, Notre Dame, 36 yards to Austin, moving into Purdue territory, run stuff. Second and 10, pressure. Third and 10, oh, gosh. Right. You know, and where, it just kills get, drives. Well, yeah. you get your hopes up from on one play, and then the next five are. So that's what, I mean, I'm keeping the scores down for Notre Dame until I see them block better. I just think in the way they attack, they're a solid four-touchdown team, and I'm going to go 34-24 as well. And I don't, I just don't. I would go the other way, maybe on Purdue's. They got it. They got it. Norman has to play better defensively, tackle better, and contain better. But David Bell's not worth me going over 24 points. Now, but I will say this, and Pete, you mentioned that Norman plays a bunch of other good receivers. This dude, David Bell, is so resourceful, man. And I would, that's what I would say about Jack Plummer, too. Yeah. Very resourceful quarterback. But I mean, when you think, you think that, okay, Bell, he's not going to get out of that to get the first down, and he does. And he does, and he does, and he does. He does it over and over and over again. But I agree with the idea that Notre Dame is going to play their best game here. And I'm, and I'm kind of influenced, I have to admit, by spending time with one of our favorite interviews the other day, and that's Kurt Heinisch, who talked about the various things that he was sharing with his teammates. And, you know, and I mean, little things like Brian Kelly talking about, hey, this is the first week where they can get into their – rhythm like of a practice yeah. week, which, which I agree with because little things like that are things that coaches worry about. And there's a comfort zone with that. You want the rhythm of a week to week situation, which they didn't have last week, of course, getting home at four 30 in the morning from Florida state a day later. So um, I think Notre Dame plays its best game. I think that Notre Dame, uh, I'm not going to say any more because I'll have the prediction tomorrow, but I'm telling you, I'm damn close to what you guys have. <laughs> And I think that that I think that that's about right. And plus, again, knowing that how Purdue's going to come in here and how they're going to want to play, they're going to play yeah, with their hair on fire. That's a big deal. And you know, you got a bunch of guys. It's always been through the years, a bunch, and even less so in years past when Notre Dame didn't recruit the state of Indiana like they do now under Brian Kelly. Those guys always had a chip on their shoulder. Air Parsegian struggled with Purdue, uh, and he's one of the Notre Dame's all-time great coaches. Purdue was down when Lou Holtz was here, but Lou Holtz kept everybody down too. Uh, but I think Norton plays his best game and it doesn't come easy per se. So we will, uh, Tim and I will join you again on, uh, on Saturday before the game from Norton stadium. We appreciate you joining us for Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson, Tim Priester. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.